The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, there are many things about Christianity that offend people, quite frankly. Uh, The one you hear most is that the Christian reality that there's only one way to heaven. We hear a lot about people who say, well, you know, Christians are just hypocrites. You know, they sin just like I do, and they always think they're holier than thou, and and quite frankly, that's true, unfortunately. But the one thing that seems to really offend people the most is this idea that there's only one way to heaven. And this is very critical, but that is clearly the teaching of the Bible. In fact, what our study of John's gospel has brought us to is probably the most exclusive and offensive of all Christ's sayings to the world. And this is not to say that Jesus' other sayings weren't, weren't exclusive and therefore somewhat offensive. We have looked at the I am sayings over the last several weeks. We've seen all but one of them so far. Just to remind you, Jesus said, I am the bread of life in chapter 6, verse 35. He said, I am the light of the world in chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 9, verse 5. He said, I am the gate in chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. He said, I am the good shepherd in chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 11, verse 25. Now we'll see when we get to chapter 15, he says that I am the vine. But let's look, first of all, at a threefold solution that we're talking about here. Because none is as comprehensive and therefore also as objectionable as to the one which we come to now. In this verse, Jesus says categorically, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he adds, so that no one will misunderstand him, No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, at the same time, we must acknowledge that these words are true as we believe them and as the Bible teaches them, and they are exclusive. But they ought to not be offensive. They ought to actually be what most humans need most. They should be received with joy and thanksgiving. Now, why is this? Well, before sin entered the world... Adam and Eve enjoyed a threefold privilege with God. First, they were in communion with God. Second, they knew God and the truth that flowed from him. And third, they possessed spiritual life. However, when they disobeyed God and fell into sin, they lost this privilege. Instead of enjoying communion with God, they experienced alienation from him. Instead of knowing the truth, they fell into falsehood and error. And instead of possessing life, they began to know death. For God had promised very clearly in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is our human condition. We are alienated from God, ignorant of the truth, and condemned to spiritual and eventually physical death. So all men ever born from the time of Adam and Eve are born flawed. And so to our our minds, 
we think and reason from a flawed baseline. So our efforts for eternal life are based from ignorance. We look around the world today, we make decisions on what we think it should be and how life should be and how we should get to heaven, but we're making them from a flawed mind. Because the Bible is clear that as sin passed upon one man, so death passed upon all. Every person born is born a sinner in a sinful condition. Many choose simply just to ignore it as if there is some kind of freedom in that. Well, whatever happens will happen. But the Bible is clear that the soul never dies. You either spend eternity with God or apart from God. So the glory of Christ's claim in John 14, 6 is in its being a a divine answer to each problem on all three of these levels. Instead of alienation, he offers the way to God. Instead of ignorance and error, there is truth. And instead of death, he offers life. So the text is actually the gospel wrapped up in one verse, and it's the good news of God, and it all points to Jesus Christ. So notice with me that Jesus is the answer on all three levels. And this point is reinforced by the context, because as he spoke these words, Jesus was about to be crucified. The disciples knew he was troubled. They knew that this relationship was coming to an end, and there was panic. And they began to ask him questions. Four of those questions are right here in our context this morning. Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? In chapter 13, verse 36. A few minutes later, Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? In chapter 14, verse 5. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father in 14.8. And then finally, Jude said in 14.22, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, these four questions from four different men all arise from the same situation and show the very same interest. In each case, Jesus answers them in virtually the same way. Now, in one sense, he seems to answer them directly, or not directly, but yet he really points them to the real truth. In each case, he directs the thoughts of the disciples toward himself. And this is one area that so many people miss today, that all of it always points to Jesus Christ. Jesus tells Peter that although he cannot understand where he is going now, one day he will follow him there. He answers Thomas's question about the way by saying, I am the way. He tells Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And to Jude's question about how Jesus will show himself, he begins to teach about the coming Holy Spirit that will bear witness to him and to the world. So is it alienation from God? He's the way. Is it a need for illumination and for truth? He is the truth. Is it death? He is life. All three key areas of our life are answered in Jesus Christ. So let's just break it down. Number one, Jesus is the way. Now, the way supposes two points, for it is the path from one point to another. You tell somebody to go from Columbus to Cleveland, the way you go is to take I-71. That's the way. In this case, it is the way from a man's total ruin and sin to the Father. 
But what do we mean by man's total ruin? Well, first we mean the guilt of sin. The problem we deal with is how such a sin can be put away. We are sinners in God's sight, and God declares it, and our own consciences bear the reality of it. God declares it, and we understand. So what can be done about it? Reformation will not do, for payment of future debt never discharges the the past sin. And that's really the sin that haunts us. So it is an act of mercy that takes us from one place, sin, to a saving place, Jesus Christ. So it's not that God can just simply act like we never sin. The Bible is clear that every sin demands payment. But we're not capable of paying it. In fact, I could die for you. I could be a great guy and die for you. The problem is it's one sinner dying for another. There had to be a pure sacrificial lamb, one without sin. And that's why Jesus came. So what do we do about it? How shall sin be removed? The only way is that which God has already revealed in Jesus Christ. God sent his own son, made a man, to enter into covenant union with people so that he becomes one of them and eligible to bear their sin on himself. He undertakes to be their substitute, dying in their place, bearing in his own body the just wrath against sin, and then by his death, removing the guilt and punishment of that sin forever. The only way to have our sins forgiven is by accepting Jesus Christ's finished work on Calvary. It's the only way. Now, we can try to go do it our own way. We can try to find a way, but all of us have to admit that we're just not good enough. We never can live that kind of life. But when you accept Jesus Christ, listen to these verses that now apply to you. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Colossians 2, 13, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses or sins. Hebrews 10, 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forever forgotten. I mean, just imagine that reality. And you maybe say, oh, yeah, man, but you don't know my life. (laughs) You don't know where I've been. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is no sin so great that God can't forgive it. Because it's in Jesus Christ, his son. If he was willing to take his very own son and allow him to take on the form of man and come to earth and bear all the sins of the world, do you think for one second that you can be so bad that he won't forgive you if you turn to Christ? That's his son. And he's offering that free grace this morning. Number two, Jesus is truth. Jesus did not say, I have come to tell you the truth about the Father. 
nor did he say, I have come to point to, to the truth about the Father. He said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He said in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So what do we see in Jesus about the Father? What do we learn about reality? Well, first, that God is personal. He's not an impersonable force out in the universe. God desires to communicate with persons. He desires to have a personal relationship. If you think back uh, to the beginning of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve before the fall, they, he came and visited with them every night. They walked. They named animals. They, they talked, looked at the stars and the skies, and they had fellowship. And when that sin committed, that fellowship was broken. But when you accept Christ as your Savior, that fellowship is renewed. And he has a desire to walk with you and communicate and lead you. And this is the power that we have. So in him, we also see that God is holy. We cannot learn that by looking at any other direction but Jesus. In the world, we see both good and evil, order and disorder, and sometimes they're mingled. If we are to judge from what we see, we would just assume that God is amoral or that he doesn't care about evil because evil is everywhere. But Jesus is holy. He is without sin, and he declared this through his son who is perfectly holy. Jesus also reveals that God is the God of mercy. He is the God of love. So we are told and see it demonstrated through Jesus Christ that God is not deaf to the cries of mankind. Even while requiring justice, God came to people and offered a solution to them. You know, I, I used to think all the time, and just in my own mind, God is so holy. When Adam and Eve blew it, why didn't he just wipe them away and start over? I mean, it was only two of them. Yeah, well, just, just clean them out. Let's go to the dirt. Let's create another Adam. And when he's formed, we'll, we'll breathe into his nostrils life. And, and then we'll just take another rib from him and we'll come up with another Eve. And let's try it this time. But you know, I was studying one time and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because God would not only be wiping away Adam and Eve, he would also be wiping away me and you because we were planned before the foundation of the world God before the foundation of the world ordained and even when Adam and Eve God knew you and I so that wasn't an option so not only did God love Adam and Eve and want to come up with a plan to rescue them he was thinking of you and I in 2014 he was thinking of you and I and our hearts and our passions and who we are. And oh, no, no, I, I can't lose him. I can't lose her. I'm going to make a way because I love them so much. Luke 15 and verse 24. For this, my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And he began to celebrate. Those are the words about the prodigal son when he realized his lostness. So number three, Jesus is the life. Outside of God, man's self, self is at the center and circumference of his existence. 
He's alive to the things of the world, but dead to the things of God. And, and it's not by choice. It's the way he's born. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man or the unsaved man does not understand the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So apart from God, we are spiritually dead. But when God makes a way and calls you to himself, he is rescuing you from this dead situation. Christ can make such a person alive. In fact, he promised to give life to all who would call upon his name. And this should be an amazing encouragement. For if the life of Christ gives is God's life, then that life is eternal. This is what is so clearly taught in the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Listen, I don't know what your situation is this morning. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I can assure you that he loves you so much that he sent his son to rescue you. And he died on a cruel cross to pay the price for your sins, past, present, and future. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he's offering that this morning. But it gets better. Because in John 10, verses 27 through 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Get this. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. The clarity of that gospel is once you accept Christ, you are sealed until the day of redemption. That's what Ephesians tells us. You cannot lose your salvation. I say this all the time. I, my wife says I repeat it all the time, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're not good enough to save yourself, you're sure not good enough to keep yourself saved. That is in the power of Jesus Christ. So he not only offers forgiveness of sin, but he also offers the security that once you're in, you're never lost. And we have an eternity together. Jesus came that you might have eternal life. He calls you to come just as you are. You're not required to do anything but come to Jesus. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself all perfect and good and say, okay, now I can come to Jesus. No, no, he doesn't want that. He wants you just the way you are in your current condition, whatever that might be. He loves me. He's for me. And he built a salvation around me because he loves me. I'm going to play a song now, and I want you to just listen to this song. And while you're listening to the song, I want you to consider this. If you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no need to leave without making that choice. You can make it right where you're sitting. You can talk to someone. Or during this song, if you'd like to just come down and kneel and have someone talk to you and show you before you leave, and maybe as Christians... You're hearing this and going, you know, I forget sometimes what God did for me. And I want to recommit my life to him. I want to just give him every part of my life. As you're listening to this song and you want to come down, come. And then we'll, we'll close in prayer.
as we hear those words it just echoes in our hearts that you love us I mean you love us just the way we are it doesn't matter what life we've lived what we think we are you loved us through the cross and every person in this room God loves Lord, I just pray that the power of those words, that you loved us, that you're for us, would radiate this day and this Christmas season. That we wouldn't get caught up in just the commercial, everyday hysteria of the holiday. But that we would take time to realize that 2,000 years ago, you laid all our sins on your son. And when we accept that act and accept him as our Savior, God, from that point on, sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ, washed and cleansed. And I just pray, Lord, that that would be the ultimate outcome of every person here this morning. We praise you, we love you, and we thank you. And we give you all the praise in Christ's name.